so it's uh, definitely not uh, flawless thus far. But uh, what uh, what's going on with you, Jeff? Man, it is a foggy morning here in the hills of Tennessee, and uh, I'm just enjoying the prospect of talking to you guys this morning. I appreciate y'all having me on. Yeah, thanks. Uh, thanks yeah. for joining us here. Uh... Yeah, just so everybody has a little background, um, we similar sort of Christian circles that we run in. Uh, saw Jeff, you had responded to a post that Lewis had made, uh, and and people who've been listening to the podcast know Lewis's book that he released not too long ago, talking about drug culture, how it's related to. Uh, abortion, different things like that. And uh, so I, so I'd mess you had reacted to it. I was like, Hey, you really got to check out this book. And then you guys end up having a podcast, which is, if you guys haven't listened to that yet, go check it out where Lewis goes into much more detail about what drove him to write the book, the connections that he found, just looking at the scientific literature about people who take psychedelics, what they all have similar experiences, seeing similar entities, what the, what that might end up leading to. Um, but yeah, so Jeff, if you won't mind, give us a little introduction of who you are and uh, yeah. Well, I'm a native middle Tennessean um, pastor, teach at a local classical Christian school. Um, nothing too, you know, exciting or dynamic, but it suits me. Got um, a whole bunch of kids been married now for um 20 years we got married really young and so um yeah i do the the family thing teach a little bit preach pastor and um, i'm also uh, a couple generations in into a farming family so uh, again nothing that all dynamic, sounds but it all sounds very good I am and it suits me. <laughs> yeah <laughs> don't, don't don't sell it short that all sounds exciting but uh yeah hey it totally, I'm not trying to denigrate. It totally suits me. It's just, uh, you know, I'm not jumping out yeah. of airplanes or anything. Oh, sure. Yeah, my dad's family's from eastern Tennessee, actually, outside, oh, yeah. outside, of, um, uh, outside of Oak Ridge. Hey, man, um, Big Ed's Pizza is the is the business. <laughs> good, good to know. Yeah. Um, so I guess one of the conversations that you guys were having – and I know Lewis, you're you're very interested in getting into this topic. And we've talked before about demons and technology. Um, at first glance, the idea that de- first of all that demons are real, I think a lot of Christian uh, we don't even we don't take that notion very seriously anymore. We're like, yeah, we read the gospel accounts, we see Jesus dealt with times, but we don't really like we don't really deal with demon possession or the idea that there's this these entities of darkness that are waiting around the corner, trying to trip yeah. us up and, and down, but then blending, then we, we did that episode about um, artificial intelligence generated art and the demons that some people seem to find in there. Cause that, that was the only reasonable explanation. Yeah, for yeah. why. Well, it's some, funny. Uh, like I um, have been, yeah, you know, I've been a Christian for 20 years. Um, and on paper, of course, I believe in demons. You have to. It's in the Bible. You know, like there's that theoretical, yes, I believe in demons. Um, but it wasn't really until I wrote my book about psychedelics and kind of got into it and realized, oh, my goodness, this is actually real. These these entities that we kind of talk about in theory 
are there in presence as it goes beyond just um, a theoretical presence. They're actually there. They're actually making an influence in the world. And if you're an atheist listening to this or you're uh, non-Christian thinking, thinking about this, just think of it as like some sort of alien entity living in a different dimension. If you want to, like, if you don't like the word demon, you don't like that. Just think of some kind of entity living in another dimension a lot of atheists believe in, in aliens, believe in that, that there's some sort of entity that's hostile towards humans. And like that, there's a, so much evidence for that. Like there's so much evidence for that in the drug world, but then, you know, lots of other places. And one of the things as you and I have talked about in the past is that those hostile entities seem to be messing around with IT or with, with tech. Like it just seems like they're in that world in some weird way and when you play around with like we had talked about in the past ai generated art you see these very creepy inexplicable things happening over and over again and it does it's got this this strangeness to it that i i find both terrifying and incredibly interesting so um jeff i don't know what you're uh I know you've done quite a bit of uh, kind of reading and talking about this. What what are your thoughts on this whole thing? Well, I'm really interested that um, I'm thankful this really jumped in. So I, as Lucas mentioned, I'm kind of new to you guys uh, in terms of your work and your world. When you're talking about you did AI generated art, are you talking about that uh, viral kind of thread that went around where a woman kept showing up? Yeah. So I had written up a thread on the Pop Culture Quorum Deo podcast thing about that. And as quick as I can, that seems to me like uh, a potential egregore. Uh, are yeah. you familiar with that term? It's, it's like a tulpa. Um, it's, this, um, it's an entity that springs to life because people are thinking about it and talking about it. Um, and so I thought, oh, my gosh, that we were watching AI create a host for some sort of demonic entity. My, my general theory is that false gods are sort of masks that, that maybe multiple demons can put on as they're useful throughout history. Right. So some demon or whatever can drop in and be Thor for a while to terrorize. And that concept exists for them to pick back up when it's useful. Uh, And as I was watching that AI generated uh, art kind of show itself. I thought, oh, here they're creating a new mask that's going to live on in AI, and they can drop in and make use of it whenever they want. And I think a lot of this advanced uh, technology we're seeing to do things like create images, but also if you think about Meta um, with um, the kind of avatars that will be in use there, those are all just uh, empty concept suits for a demonic yeah. entity in my mind to step into and make use of as they see fit. It seems con- entirely consistent with what I assume they did with. Pegasus. Yeah. 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 And then uh, so everyone has a little background. Um, what the specific Twitter thread that we're referring to the whole uh, lobe entity. So this yeah, that's the, name, yeah. um, the person who messes around with AI generated art. Um, so what they, what, the, what they do is you find a, AI art generator. There are plenty of them available online. You can just sign up and you can put different text prompts. I've messed with them before. Um, 
you give them different text prompts, and then it'll generate a random picture based on those prompts. Um, what this person did was gave was gave a negative prompt. That is, she asked the computer to the AI to come up with the opposite of what she was asking for. So she put in the, uh, Marlon Brando, the actor, put the put that in, but asked for the opposite of Marlon Brando just to see what the AI might think is the opposite of Marlon Brando. And she got a kind of a landscape picture with some words in it. And she, or some letters, she put those. So she's like, okay, well, wonder, I wonder what the opposite of the opposite of Marlon Brando is. So she took the letters that were in there and did the opposite, the opposite prompt with those letters. And this generated this woman who looked very otherworldly, very weird, very off. Um, so she kept playing with those prompts, and no matter what type of words she would use, this woman would always continue to appear. And then they start the picture started getting gorier and gorier, like uh, dead children, uh, like just really, really, really bizarre, violent, gory art. And this woman was always present, so it created so the there was one picture where it had the word lobe in the corner so that that's what she was named this art and kind of this mythos that built built around the art yeah and it's super creepy like it's something everybody should check out that's the thing that you know i've talked about in the past is that all this ai stuff is all creepy like it's if it was intentionally trying to be creepy it could not be doing a better job whether it's the art or whether it's anything else um there's you know uh if if you guys remember this was like two years ago, I think they came out with a kind of a real realistic looking robot that they had generated and they, they tried to build in AI to go with it. Right. So like a, and it wasn't very good, you know, it was like a Surrey like voice or whatever, but basically um, they would ask it questions. And this was kind of went viral where um, the robot said something along the lines of, I will destroy humanity or would you like me to destroy humanity or something like that? Um, and there is like this creepy nature to AI that I've seen over and over and over again. And um, it's, um, it's weird how that, um, that theme just um, of all the things that, uh, that you see when you look at this, it's weird that creepiness is one of the key themes that, that seems like it always comes up. Well, think about what you just described in terms of how that um, image was generated. If, if you drop kind of a, a version of that into an ancient culture, they would say, oh, that's a summoning ritual. You're using, you know, important terms and, uh, you know, you're crafting it in a certain way to kind of ring the bell that something responds. It, it sounds ritualistic. I don't know why we shouldn't consider it ritualistic just because it happens through a keyboard. That's really yeah. interesting. Really interesting. Yeah, yeah. The um, thing I'm I've been reading is a lot of C.S. Lewis on this, and um, he has this fantastic quote where he talks. And I'll see if I can pull it up real quick. But he talks about the fact that um, the the science and magic in the ancient world, um, and especially when kind of science came into its own that there wasn't a big difference between science and magic. Um, here's the quote from him. He says, there was very little in the Middle Ages 
the 16th and 17th centuries are the high noon. There was very little magic in the Middle Ages. The 16th and 17th century are the high noon of magic. So prior to that, he says there wasn't a whole lot of magic. But then in the 16th and 17th century, it really almost, you know, took took full steam. He says, I'll continue the quote. He's, he says, the serious magical endeavor and the serious scientific endeavor are twins. One was sickly and died the other strong and throve, but they were twins. They were born of the same impulse. So basically his argument was that science and magic really have that same desire, which is this desire to manipulate the world, to get power, to build up, um, kind of, to, to do certain steps to get a certain result. Right. So like, if you think about magic, it's like, okay, well, um, mix, you know, say, say these words, chant these things, um, mix this, this, uh, spice up with this, you know, uh, thing, follow this ritual and you get this result, right? That, that's the idea of magic. Science really is the same thing, right? It's, it's do these steps and you get this result. And the, and the only difference really is that magic doesn't work, or at least in popular conception, it doesn't work. Although I, I would argue sometimes it does work, but, um, in popular conception, it doesn't work. And so therefore people focus on the science side, but the impulse behind both are exactly the, you know, like, it's the same purpose behind the two things. You see that, um, in Tolkien a lot as well, because in Tolkien's world, technology and magic are equivalent. You either use it for the good of your neighbor and higher purposes, or you use it to control and dominate people. And, you know, the black magicians really, uh, you know, uh, it's 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 Saruman and the orcs. They're yeah. doing magic and they're tearing the forest down to build, you know, uh, weapons of war. Um, and, I, and I appreciate him for that because he helps you frame it. And when you look at it, you say what, what you just said, Lewis, that, hey, this is a way to kind of manipulate some substance to impose my will on the cosmos. You see that they're siblings yeah if not conjoined twins yeah and you you mentioned Tolkien is interesting so in in lord of the rings um sauron has this horror this terrifying ability to see right like there's this all-seeing eye where you know uh frodo always has to be afraid of like oh can he see me that it's a theme that comes up now we have cameras all over the place and we have governments that can see into ukraine right now or can see into china right now and so in many ways, we now have that all seeing eye. We just did it with technical scientific processes. We just, it, it, the, the effect is the same as we do these things and we get this ability to see across, uh, you know, the world. Uh, but the, the principles are, are this, you know, it's, it's the, the same principles, you know, the, 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 everything behind it are the same. The mechanics are different. That's the only thing. Yeah, I mean, the, the Twitter listeners can't see this, but we're on Zoom right now. And in Lord of the Rings, that would be a palantir, you know, and it yeah, would be yeah. dangerous to our soul. Yeah, exactly. Well, mm-hmm. And um, I, I feel like people are becoming more, they're more aware of the fact that, yes, the government, like governments are, they, you know, they, they, when Edward Snowden, that whole thing happened and people are like, Oh, they could, they actually have back doors to turn on your cameras whenever they want to and record whatever they want. And well, they can only do that with the warrant. 
I remember when I was in the Navy, I worked with a guy who was at the, we used to have a collection center out in the hills in West Virginia. Um, that operation was closed, I, I believe. But he explained to me that the whole warrant thing is just, it's just an extra step because we have allies that are doing the same thing. So we could just help each other, right? I can, so they, there's this organization mm. called Five Eyes. It's the United States, Canada, UK, Australia, New Zealand. So it's this intelligence alliance. Um, so if I want data from an American citizen, I can, you know, I am legally, I can't record that. I can't, but I can go access that information on a Canadian database, a Canadian intelligence unit that's not under, it's not subject to those same privacy laws and vice versa. We reciprocate each other that way. So it's. It, yeah. And the corporate world too. Right. So like Google has all your data. Um, Apple has all your data. And so you are being recorded. And then if the government needs it, they just ask for it. You know, they get it at whatever, whenever they want it. So, and, and all, on top of that, they have judges that will, you know, give them warrants oh, for the, pretty much anything. So, yeah. Right. I remember a few years ago, a lawyer friend of mine said the the case law and warrants was changing in that it had used, you know, we sort of assume that you get a warrant to get access to someone's private property. He said in the age of uh, big surveillance and big tech, they're just recording everything. Yeah. And the warrant says, oh, you can go look at it. Right. And yeah. so it's all there. It, the warrant activates it. And then the point you just made about multiple different entities doing this and cooperating. It's just, it's brutal to consider uh, the circumstances we live under. You're talking about, you know, they can look into Ukraine. They can look into my backyard, you know? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And they have, um, it's a level of control that um, the biggest dictator in the history of the world's didn't have, right? Like it's a level of, if, if you could tell, chairman Mao or stalin hey i've got this skill where i can record everything 100 percent of your citizens say at any moment and i can br bring it up and we can do this forever so we can record everything forever like Mao and stalin would have their minds blown and they might even they might be like whoa that's going a little too far <laughs> like that's that's a little extreme you know, uh, but uh you know it's like yeah, I, I remember reading about Stalin and it's like, oh, my goodness, he had like something like one in 20 people was part of his secret police. And like one in 20 people, that's nothing. Like, how do you keep track of everybody with one in 20 people? Like, that's, you know, it, it was... artificial intelligence to help you keep track. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Going, yep. It's like our, our main topic here, demons and technology. So one thing that's always, <laughs> and this was something I back when I was a when I was an atheist, even. Now, we've talked before about like my atheism journey, all that stuff. But one thing that was really hard to wrestle with, as among other things, but one thing I always have really had to wrestle with was, all right, if you, if you start peering into the underbelly of the elite, uh, these corporations, these governments, whatever, there's always these strands of occultism. Like you looked at uh, Jeffrey Epstein and the and you look at his island just a little bit and you notice there's all these weird temples and there's, there always seems to be these, uh, like the, the, the eyes wide shut Stanley Kubrick movie, 
there always seems to be this ritualistic uh, occult uh, sex stuff happening. It's see then Pizzagate happened, and you're like, well, that, you know, well that was that was they definitely didn't have kids in that basement of that pizza parlor in Washington D.C. But then you look at it a little bit more, you're like, okay, they're talking about something that's. Not yeah, there's something there. something weird going on. Whether you know whether that was the exact thing or not is another so the, question. But the yeah. people, yeah. the people who are controlling that. My point, I guess, the people who are controlling the tech seem <laughs> to think that these otherworldly stuff is real. Yeah, that's. Uh, I mean, like my the the mind blowing thing is like the amount of images involved. You know, when you look at like um, some of the upper levels of the tech world the amount of times they use images and imagery that's related to pagan religions is mind blowing. Right. Like somebody even pointed out, I heard somebody point out that uh, even the, the uh, term meta comes from uh, Metatron, which was uh, from the third book book of Enoch. Um, So Uh it's even, even that's like this, it's a, it's a reference to, um, the divine and um or not the divine but you know demons um and then in the um cern for example you guys know what cern is the big uh supposedly atom collider in uh in geneva um that um is there they they have a giant um statue to shiva at the at in the center of that place um and um like why why do all these scientific people these yeah. naturalists have all there's always little strands of occultism everywhere like it's yeah you know, yeah it's very you... very weird and um on that cern shiva thing i posted on my twitter yesterday um just to remind people that a couple of years ago as supposedly as a joke scientists did a a human sacrifice in front of that stack the the statue of Shiva. So like there, there was on video them, and the only explanation that was given by CERN was they were joking around, which is a weird joke, honestly. Is they sacrificed yeah, some lady all wearing satanic outfits or whatever. <laughs> so like, yeah, all of us have seen the uh, ritual. They I say the ritual, the the ceremony they did to open CERN. Right, you've seen that long YouTube video. Yeah, I've I've heard of it. I don't I don't think I've ever seen it, but yeah, where it's to Shiva, right? Like it's a dance to Shiva or something like that. Is that calling it a dance to Shiva is really underselling this thing. <laughs> Guys, it, it looks like a full blown pagan ritual. Um you should watch it. Find it and watch it. I'll you check it out. Yeah. Time. It's long, it's gruesome, it's hyper sexualized, it's super pagan. It's one of the few times, I guess that really was kind of a red pill moment for me when I watched it and I thought, you know, these idiots may not know what they're dancing about, but somebody put this thing together. Somebody knows. They, yeah, somebody yeah, knows. Somebody's right. aiming at something, you yeah. know. Yeah. Well, the thing I point out with um, that whole question of do they know, the thing I point out um, is that for Christianity, we care very much what's in your head, right? So, like, we say – it's not just good enough to show up to church. It's not just good enough to to take the Lord's Supper, um, to be baptized. You have to truly believe, right? We say the creed every week. We, you know, like we, the it, it matters what you think in your heart, in your head, and and what you feel in your heart, right? For Christianity, 
for a lot of religions, most religions actually, it makes zero difference what you do in your head. It only matters what you do with your actions. So think of superstition, for example. When I break a mirror, um, you can go online and figure out what the you don't want the bad luck from breaking the mirror. You can go online, figure out what the solution is. You bury the mirror on a full moon or whatever. And as long as you do that, you're protected. It does not matter if you believe in the, the superstition behind it or not. You know, if you spill salt, you throw it over your shoulder. It does not matter if you truly believe it or if you think it's a joke or whatever. The, the procedure is what protects you, right? So if you believe in that, the procedure is what protects you. That's how most religions are historically, is this the procedure that you follow. So another example is Shintoism. If you do a poll of Japanese people, Shinto is the majority religion in, in Japan. You do a poll of Japanese people, you ask them, do they believe in the Shinto gods? And almost nobody will say yes. It's very low percentage. will say yes. On the other hand, if you try and sell your house and it has not been blessed by a Shinto priest, you can't sell it. Nobody would buy it because they, there's that what I would defi- you know describe as a, a, a superstitious religion behind it where it's just just like you wouldn't you know the equivalent would be you know would you move your family into a former um uh funeral home you know if there was a funeral home that went for sale would you move your family you'd be like you know what i don't i don't believe in ghosts but yeah i don't think i will do that um and so shintoism similar deal and a lot of religions that's the same deal where it's the procedures you follow so when it comes to like these weird satanic pagan religions we see like uh, bohemian grove where they do this weird ceremony um it doesn't matter if all the people there don't believe it right it doesn't it could be a hundred percent of the people don't in theory believe it but they're still doing the ceremony that according to that religion according to those religions is all you need right so they're whatever those pagan entities are if you're doing the procedure they're happy right like you know you sacrifice the person whether or not you believe sacrificing the person does anything, I don't care as a as a demon or as a, a pagan god. That's all I'm looking for, right? And it, it's a different thing. Like God, the God of the Bible, the God of Christianity cares what's in our heart. The demons don't, right? And this is why, I know we talked about this on the podcast we did together, but this is why reading C.S. Lewis is so important, man. When you read that hideous strength, it really yeah. feels like a blueprint. You've got some you know, ostensibly secularist, uh, progressive organization. Uh, the the guys at level one and two just kind of think they're out doing the uh, science makes the world better stuff. But the further up the org chart you get, somebody's talking to a demon-possessed head. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, you know, you read that and you're like, that actually is the model that best explains things like the CERN rituals and um, yeah. the, the paganism you're seeing associated with elites. Like somebody somewhere is talking to a demon. Yeah. Everybody up and down the ladder maybe doesn't know why they're participating, but somebody does. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. And that book, uh, Jeff, is I, – I reread that recently, and it does that exact thing where um, – if you remember the lead character, um, Mark uh, Studdick. Yeah, he yeah. Uh, is being initiated into the higher levels, and they have this procedure that he follows, and one of them is stomping on an image of Christ. And, yeah, the objective room. Yep. Yeah, and so he goes to, and and they say we need you to stop on the image of Christ, and he's like, "This is ridiculous. I don't believe in, I don't believe in Jesus. I don't believe these any of this stuff's real." And they said, "Yeah, we don't either." But you just 
it's weird, but this this is what works, you know. So you got to stamp mm-hmm. stamp on the image of of Jesus. So um, <clears throat> it there it that book is amazingly prophetic, and also I think reflects a lot of what's going on um, in terms of the world around us. Yeah, that um, that they put him in a room where everything is off, <laughs> right? The corners aren't where they should be, and but it also seems circular. So everything has a surreality to it in the objective room. And there you have to blaspheme Christ like you're talking about. And honestly, that is such an apt metaphor for life since, you know, 2020 or whatever. You know, um, we live in the age of the transgender where we're supposed to not notice men who are dressed up as women. Um, We're supposed to believe a scalpel can change gender. Um, You know, I, I got lit up on Twitter uh, a year or so ago where I was talking about Disney's Encanto and, you know, the big giant uh, dude figure in Encanto is a woman. She's, you know, she looks like a Disney uh, conquering hero, but they put her in a dress and we're all supposed to pretend like that's an image of femininity. Uh, we yeah. live in a world that demands that we just ignore surreality and conform to the uh, obscene and uh, uh distorted and and you you realize there's a dehumanizing effect that even comes out of the aesthetics of this right there's an aesthetics power that dehumanizes us yeah yeah it's funny you mentioned that and at the end of that hideous strength where he's being initiated and everything's slightly off right that's part of the initiation He's, he's in this room and you know the the eyes on a on a bear are uh, off center or whatever, mm-hmm. or the, you know, the, the, you know, everything has the wrong number of fingers and toes, right? Like just little things that are twisted and off. And when I, I read that, I was like, that's AI art, right? That's sure. when you look at AI art, that's exactly sure. what it is. It's like, you'll see, that's why it's creepy. It's like, you'll look at this picture. You'll be like, why, why does she have blood coming out of her mouth or whatever? It's just like, everything else is normal. Well, but she's got blood coming out of her mouth. Like it's, it's weird. There was somebody generating a bunch of portraits, whatever, and then somebody noticed that um, all of these ladies had six fingers, and 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 somebody made that connection of like you know back in medieval times you would look for you would identify a demon by uh, somebody who had six fingers. We're doing that same thing again, looking at these AI generated art pieces and seeing the six fingers. Like oh, that's that's AI generated art. Yeah. Well, and think about. Think about that in the context of the transhumanist movement, right? So what are we looking to add through transhumanism? Uh, Extra abilities. That's what an extra digit gives you. It gives you extra abilities. And so as we think about people who are sort of going to run into the demonic, I think it's these people who are trying to transcend natural human limitations, and they end up turning to technology that will have a deeply spiritual component that they're not accounting for. So you hardwire some stuff into your brain the way – Musk wants to to give uh, give you the ability to control maybe your smart home with your thoughts rather than having to grab a device, right? But the port in is also going to be a port out to something else, and it, it's all in seeking transcendent abilities, which takes us all the way back to Babel, right? How do we transcend what it means to be limited as a human? We're going to build a great tower. Um, that's like the human quest to be more than human. We can be like God. And so yeah. we do it sometimes with magic. We do it sometimes with art architecture and now we're doing it with technology. Yeah. And it's interesting when you think of the tower of Babel and kind of this idea of like 
trying to reach heaven or whatever with this tower. And um, now you look at like CERN and they're talking about like accessing other dimensions and whether they can, you know, get these particles that's the God particle or whatever. And like, they've got this thing. And in many ways, that's exact. They're doing exactly the same thing. <laughs> like it's, you know, like the tech behind it is different maybe, you know, but like the, sure. the effort maybe. is exactly the same thing. You know, it's, yeah. it's crazy. That's exactly right. I have a friend who is sort of, um, I guess I would use the language of enchanted. You know, he, he has a re-enchanted worldview, but he's an electrical engineer. And um, he talks about electrical engineering in a way that you, you kind of immediately see it. He said, like, we, we can reproduce things as engineers, but why electrons moving through that pattern on a chip does this thing? We're not entirely sure. We just know it works. And so he will talk about architecture on a microchip and he'll say, that's a sigil. And we run a power source through it of intention. And what comes out on the other side, which we think of as a smartphone or cellular connectivity or whatever, he says, that's what the spell accomplished, you know. Yeah. Uh, and this is not some uh, uneducated dolt who doesn't understand science. He's thinking about this in categories that he's drawn from the, the medieval world. And man, they line up. Yeah, really I, well. Um, I think I, I was on Reddit, the conspiracy subreddit, and somebody posted there was a. I don't know if he's an electrical engineer, but he's a maybe an architect talking about sacred geometry. The uh, idea that you know, there's we have ley lines. Like I, I know people talk about how our American forefathers developed the first colonial cities like so like boston through new york city and philadelphia all the way to baltimore all line up on the same geometric ley line whatever and that's supposed to be where angels are angels are supposed to be able to come from heaven into earth through these ley lines whatever very important with freemasonry but this engineer had gone into great detail about how certain numbers certain patterns generate different things that we see in reality but we don't have a scientific reason for why they do it it's just because these things these we find these patterns and they work for us in a reliable manner so therefore then we're like okay great we'll just we'll take the outcome and not worry about the means yeah so we yeah think if, we we can... mastered it if we can guarantee the outcome we think we're in control of it if we can make it happen whatever we want it to and that you know, if if you took that and applied it to like feeding a tiger, oh yeah, every time I throw raw meat in front of this tiger, it goes to eat it, and therefore I'm in control of the tiger. You realize how insane that is, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good a good analogy. It uh, it is. Um, Elon Musk, you know, has strengths and weaknesses, but one of the things he says is that AI is summoning the demon. He used used that phrase, and um, and his, you know, he not necessarily literally talking about demons, uh, although it's interesting he used that phrase, but it, it was exactly what you were saying, Jeff, where it's something we can't, we think we can control, but can we can control it? And, you know, that's, that's the big question. Um, you know, when they developed the um, nuclear bomb, um, which is, you know, getting into those atoms, getting into that kind of core, um, what is the substance of the world that we're that we're made up of? What is it made up of? Kind of getting 
low, you know, further in than humans have ever gotten. They figured out, hey, if we split this atom, we can make this explosion. Well, when they did that, they didn't know the first time they they tested the nuclear bomb. They didn't know if the heat would be such that it would catch the air on fire and destroy the entire earth. That was like one of the things they were like, we hope we did our calculations right, that it didn't, you know, that it won't destroy the whole. And there was some of the scientists there, they were relieved when they did the test that they were still, everyone was still alive. And there is that, um, that we think we're in control, but we're not in control. You know, that idea of, of we hope that we can harness this power which is kind of what all magic is, right? Like all magic is, you know, I'm going to make the the demon gods do what I want them to do, right? As though you're more powerful than the the dark forces and the entities um, in the world. Absolutely right. And that's the, you know, not to make everything about this, but it comes back to the inherent human hubris that we can become like God. We can transcend these limits. We can alter... Um, we can alter reality at the, at the atomic level, split it. You know, even if all we can do is split it, make it go boom, we have that kind of power, but yeah. you know, to make it all about paganism, uh, I can't remember the guy's name, but one of the lead engineers on the nuclear bomb, you know, he had that fav- that famous quote when he watched it go off that he said, I am become death, the destroyer of worlds, Yeah, which is a, it's a line from a holy text about Shiva. That's a line from Shiva. Yes. And, yeah. Uh, the, Bhagavita, if I'm saying that right. But uh, yes, yeah, that that was uh, something I was thinking of too with all the CERN Shiva, the CERN Shiva link and that one. Which, by the way, Shiva as a god is um, the god that destroys the world and then rebuilds the world. So you think of kind of the hubris of science. It's like, hey, we're going to rebuild, we're going to destroy it and then rebuild it, which is a terrifying thing. Like the the idea that these are the people that are determining where tech goes, where science goes are people that are doing fake, supposedly fake rituals to a God that will destroy the world and then rebuild it. That's, I mean, it's not the right mindset for. <laughs> well, and, and that's happening while the dominant political narrative is Marxism that wants to deconstruct everything into a base kind of chaos from which a better world will emerge. And so you've got multiple prongs of this stuff coming into society. Uh, and it, I mean, it can, uh, it can leave you feeling pretty bleak. Well, I, I like, I like too, Jeff, how you uh, connected that to what, what is the original sin, right? The, the temptation was, Hey, you could take this and be like God. You will be mm-hmm. able to discern. You don't have to listen to God anymore. You discern what's good and evil in your own eyes by eating the fruit. And which is the transference of the satanic fall, right? I will make myself like the most high. Um, mm. That's the whole, you know, we've got this. Um, I don't think we have an alliance. Fallen humans don't have an alliance with Satan, but we are co-conspirators against God. And really the the core is kind of the same thing. That's why we partner so well, even if there's animosity between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. Uh, we partner together because the thing we want to do is remove these creational limits he's imposed upon us and be like him. Yeah. Um, before we move too quickly, are you guys familiar with Jack Parsons? Do y'all know that name? That sounds familiar. Yeah, right, it sounds so, familiar. I don't, I don't know. Lewis, if you're going to be writing on this, look up Jack Parsons. So um, Jack Parsons is basically the driving genius behind the U.S. development of um, – uh, it's rocket program, the kind of rockets that can 
uh, escape our atmosphere. Okay. And this guy is a blatant, avowed, on the record occultist. Um, he ends up having, he's either, I know he was hanging out in circles where uh, the founder of Scientology was. Oh, L. Ron Hubbard. To L. Ron Hubbard. Uh, I think he was hanging around like Anton LaVey. Um, there's a book called Sex, Drugs, and Magic. Sex, Drugs, Magic, and Rocket Scientists, I think, that's about Jack Parsons. And so you have kind of at the core of the U.S. Um, space exploration program. But then, you know, that technology goes a lot of different ways, too. Nuclear bombs and whatnot is this dude who's straight up connected to people who are self-consciously trying to summon otherworldly entities into this world. And, um, it, you know, th this stuff, you just scratch the surface and it's right there. I think there's a crater on the moon named for Jack Parsons. That's how important he was to NASA. That's and wild. this is a dude who's seriously, I think it's Anton LaVey, but one of the early Satanists. They're just working together. They're just reading from the same playbook and trying the same stuff. Yeah. Well, and I, um, I really, now that I'm back in Christianity, I appreciate how this, the Christian worldview makes sense of this. It makes sense that people who are not Christian are actively working to usurp the authority of God. Yeah. When I was an atheist, that always confounded me was like, why, like, like these guys are smart enough. They know none of this stuff is real. Why are they going, doing all these different things, pretending that these things are real. And now I see like, well, no, like maybe not all of them, maybe not most of them, but the people on the higher echelons most certainly do believe these things are real and they're aligning with them to help in yeah. the effort to usurp the authority of God. Yeah. Yeah. That's really sad. Yeah. And there was a lot of, I mean, there was a lot of cult within the Nazi movement um, which, you know, you would think wouldn't really make sense, but it, there was a lot of a cult there. There was a cult behind the abortion foundation. That's one of the things I mentioned in my book. Yeah. Like, so the, the occult is being done by high level people. I, I'm sorry. Yeah. What were you going to say, Lucas? I was going to say, uh, so Nazism is actually, I had somebody had an atheist explain to me this week that uh, Nazism is actually a, uh, christian nationalism so um, <laughs> yeah sure back that up, yeah. Back that up a little. <laughs> same dumpster different label i mean everything bad goes into whatever the, the current thing doesn't like right yeah. Um, yeah, yeah well so speaking of nazis and occultism um i mean operation paperclip uh is another thing to kind of scratch into because uh, a lot of our rocketry program was built on smuggling Nazi engineers out of Germany through Operation Paperclip, yep. installing them in the U.S. and started making use of their research and their minds again. And so, uh, you know, we think rightly so uh, about Nazism as this deplorable movement that was doing wicked scientific exploration. But then you start looking into our own elite uh, institutions of the government and they've been building on the same, literally the same people. Uh, we just did a better job of keeping that on the download. Yeah. I mean, the founder of NASA was uh, Werner von Braun. And, you know, like the, the number of Nazis that came into our government is crazy. And um, well, I read a book recently on um, the uh, effort by Israel to bring Nazis to justice. And one of the big roadblocks to them to arresting high level Nazis was our CIA was taking them in and covering for them. So like oh, hey, they hey, they minute. couldn't get they couldn't get a get any of those guys arrested because we were protecting them. So, Isn't that wild? I mean, it's just yeah. wild when you yeah. 
when you actually read the history, you read the primary documents, you start realizing that the world is much more, uh, I mean, yes, complex, but dark. Uh, and I mean, I'm, I'm saying that as somebody who does not despise our country. I'm very thankful for where I live. I feel like I'm very much a patriot, but this stuff is right here in our country's genetic well, material. And, and I'm glad we have you on for this topic because you have that, because you, you, uh, with the, cla- the classical Christian school, with your pastorship, um, do you see concerns about this stuff happening in your congregation? Or like, how would you, if someone approached you with like, hey, like, you know, is like, and, and, w- and we could get into eschatology a little bit, because I think depending on your eschatology, you're going to look at this a little differently too, right? You'd be like, man, gee, like the rapture's got to be right around the corner, right? Things are looking yeah. bleak. Um, yeah. I don't, like, I mean, it, I can go at that a couple different angles. And so my whole life, I have been the, uh, now, of course, I'm, I'm in a rural part of the country. So this isn't, you know, I'm not living in Silicon Valley, but I've always been the earliest tech adopter. Um, anybody wanted to figure out what some kind of new thing was, I was their go-to guy because I was playing with it. I was getting um, familiar with it and could help them figure out whatever it was. Well, um as I'm starting to become aware of some of the spiritual implications of technology, I'm dialing that back really fast. You know, we started way back talking about government surveillance or well thought the government would have to impose a listening device on people and make them stick it in their house. This isn't original with, with me by any stretch of the imagination. He had no idea we would opt into it. And then we yeah, would say, by the way, Jeff, I I'll try and find that quote while we're talking here, but that quote from Orwell is mind blowing because he says it's from 1984 and he says kind of what I was saying earlier is like all the greatest tyrants and dictators of the world yes. didn't have the ability to keep an eye on everybody. But now we do now Absolutely. we can watch everybody and give a unified message to everybody that was written in, in the 1940s by Orwell. And like, they didn't even have, they didn't even have any kind of, technology back then i mean other than tvs or whatever but he saw that and now it's now so sorry to interrupt but like that is no, a mind-blowing right. quote from him so yeah right you you mean you read these sci-fi guys and you're like there's some people who should be reading them as prophets but then there's bad guys who are like oh this is the recipe for what we need to get done you know um which but, by the way huxley um brave new world i love great book amazing sure. book um incredibly prophetic um, very much worth reading um, in terms of like, how did we get where we were? And I found out after I read that book, after I loved that book, recommended that book to a bunch of people, that Huxley actually liked that vision. Yeah. It's this dystopian yeah. vision. And Huxley like did follow up speeches where he's like, yeah, actually, that's all a good. It, we should do that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's wild. Yeah. yeah. So we decided we would opt into mass surveillance so we would have the benefit of being able to turn our lights on with our voice or um, find out what the weather is from our fridge, right? So, And once that clicked for me, I started trying to strip that stuff out of my life as far as I can, try to strip, um, definitely try to insulate my children from that. You know, I wanted to try to give them a clean digital footprint by the time they left my house that they could decide what they wanted to interface with the world, right? But through Heiser, I'm sure you guys have read Mike Heiser, um, some other 
brothers who are sort of orbiting a guy out in out west called Douglas Van Dorn, who I'd recommend to y'all if y'all aren't familiar. He's a Reformed Baptist pastor, kind of writes Heiser adjacent stuff and does his own work. I started realizing that technology isn't just a, a, a trouble because it gives tyrants opportunity. Who's the ultimate tyrant? The ultimate tyrant who sits above the fallen world system we live in is Satan. Uh, Lewis convinced me there's probably some kind of interface between some of the uh, the elites and, uh, you know, directly uh, fallen beings. And so as I've been trying to walk that back, I've been trying to slowly sort of influence people in my circles to think about these things. And uh, I've made some headway. You know, you want to tread carefully because you you don't want to run up screaming that your your smartphone is going to put the devil in you. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but you, some of these questions are pretty easy to document. I don't know if y'all saw a couple. Uh, I think it was last year. A couple people in um, Alexa controlled homes where she controls the um, the door locks. She would not let them into their houses. And so people are like, wait a minute, I'm actually giving up control. And once they get that kind of hook, it's a lot easier to start, particularly if they're Christian, particularly if they're reading and they're thoughtful. You know, C.S. Lewis isn't a radical. He wrote the Chronicles of Narnia and you get them on the space trilogy and you start moving them kind of further down the road. And you're like, look, these brilliant people that have helped us to understand Christ's kingdom so much. They saw so much of this coming. Right. Yeah. And that way you don't have to be the maniac screaming about smartphones. Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, it's um, funny when, when you get into some of these uh, conspiracies or I don't, I don't like the word conspiracy because it implies that it's fake or weird or whatever. But you you learn some of the history behind this. Perfectly true history, not debatable, not disputable, but just saying it out loud like people will think you're insane. Like, <laughs> like well, you point, I well, mean, some of the stuff like with Shiva and CERN is like, you just say that out loud and people are like, Oh, you're crazy. It's like, no, like you can just, just look it up. Yeah. Like, but uh, it, mm-hmm. so yeah. it is, it is hard to figure out how to talk to people about some of the stuff because it is. That, there was that news article during the summer about that. And there's a bunch of homes in Northern Colorado they couldn't turn their air conditioning on and they were all connected to the same um, energy network. And because they were trying to taper down the amount of energy they were using, they weren't able to adjust their air conditioning up. So it's like, no, it's, it's, it's right here. Like there, there are other, these other organizations controlling what you can and cannot do within your own home. Yeah. Right. And those are the kind of things that are super helpful because, you know, I don't need to be derogatory using the term normie, but people are just kind of oombopping down the road, enjoying the new features that the magic spells, their technology gives them. Uh, you show them a few of those things and it starts becoming less common and they can start connecting dots on their own. Well, you know, you were talking about your kids, like, you know, so my oldest, my daughter's 11 and, you know, we're, so we're homeschooling this year, but when she was going to school, she had, you know, 10 years old, had friends that had smartphones and uh, to my knowledge, had no parental controls. They were able to, you know, everything on TikTok, whatever. I'm like, well, like, why? Why would you give your child? I can't, like, I think back, you know, I'm a child of the 2000s when the internet was first becoming a thing. So you could, you could try and find things you weren't supposed to look at 
but you had to do it on the family computer. There was that risk of being like, I can't imagine having that type of access at that age and like nobody, no boundaries, nobody checking on me. I can't like the, the stuff I would have looked at. It's just, it's, it's crazy that we're doing this. Yeah. So I, in, in a lot of ways in my circles, I see what you're just describing. There's a mission field. These are converted people, but their children aren't. And so, I mean, I work mm-hmm. with, um, I work at a school with people who care enough about their Christian, their children's Christianity, that they will pay money beyond what the government takes to support the government schools in order to have them in a Christian school. So these are thoughtful, committed Christians. These are some of the most. And I've got young children and so many of their uh, their classmates have un largely unfiltered access. There may be like covenant eyes or some kind of uh, family filter, but they have unfiltered access to the internet through a smartphone or a tablet. And the thing I've tried to gently, but forcefully say when I, when I can is you have a portal to hell Mm. in your, in your hands, right? You would never hand your child a table saw and say, Hey, you know what? This thing can do some cool stuff. Let's go just come see what you can make of it. You'd never do that. And a smartphone is infinitely more powerful than a table saw for good or for ill. And so why are we treating it like it's morally neutral? And, um, you know, there's some families that have come to those convictions apart from me. There, uh, there's some I think that I've moved the needle on. But I really yeah, think and, this is disciple, like, generational discipleship. To finish I, your thought. I sent my uh, I sent my my kids have been in private school most of their up upbringing but one thing was shocking to me was that despite going to a christian school conservative christian area you know like it's if if you did a poll this would be mostly this crowd you would think would be mostly conservatives red red state kind of we're in a blue area but you would think red red state kind of people um the i think they had like 30% 30% of the girls in her class were, were trans right? yeah. <laughs> or like, were they, them or whatever. And like, she was being bullied for um, having Christian convictions about sexuality. Right. This yeah. isn't like a, the most concerned, you know, like on paper, the school, you read their statements of faith. They're all very good. And like that. And where does that come from? Well, it wasn't coming from the school. I don't think it was coming from their parents. I talked to some of their parents. That leaves one option, right? <laughs> you know, that's, that's, that's the last last place they could have got it was there. There's tech that was in in that family in those families that was telling those kids something about sexuality that goes against everything. Their parents are spending thousands of dollars a year to send their kids to a Christian school, and they're wasting their money. They might as well send their send your kid to public school. Just you know, like there's no if you're gonna do that stop wasting your money on private school because you're, you're yep. giving your kid to those ideologies either way. Yeah. And you're giving those ideologies access to your kids. It's, yeah. you know, you, I, I try to think about homes as castles <clears throat> and castles had walls and they had gates and they had drawbridges and they had ways to access the world and they had ways to, to withdraw access from the world. And I just don't think Christians are used to thinking of that, particularly not where I live. 
because they've assumed sort of a neutrality, if not a positivity. There's still you know, a lot of churches around where we live and things like that. Church attendance is really high. There's still some social advantages to being a Christian, but they don't realize all that's being eroded out from under them by TikTok, literally by TikTok. If you went to our school, I could, I mean, I could look at every yearbook and I could say that child is in spiritual crisis. That child seems to be thriving. I could just go through and do that. And without exception, everyone that, that's showing signs of spiritual crisis has unhealthy relationship to technology. They have unmonitored access to the Internet. And we have some good friends who, before we became friends, you know, I haven't kind of sussed out all the details, but their daughter was on a bad route. Like, um, I, I think the issue basically was dysphoria. Um, she was becoming, you know, uncomfortable with her body. She became an adult woman. And they decided, they were already, I think, homeschooling. But they decided, we've got to do something here. And so they basically put her on, uh, this wasn't the only Thing they did, but they put her on a tech detox program, got her phone away, got her away from TikTok and all this stuff. And if you see this young lady today, this is only a, you know, a couple years later. Uh, she's what everybody hopes their daughter would be in terms of the life they get to live. She's a wonderful young lady. She's very happy with her uh, creational design. I mean, people love to be around her. And um, you realize that you, you can only pump sewage into any living ecosystem so long before it becomes toxic and corrupt. Yeah, yeah. Um, let, me, let me just say as a parent, sorry, I'll let you go in just a second, Lucas. But if you're going to do no other monitoring of your kid's phone, make sure they don't have TikTok. <laughs> like, yeah, that exactly. is it really is that serious. Worst. Like, it's yeah. by far the worst. Yeah. And it's the greatest brainwashing tool of kids ever. And by the way, to get back to the monitoring thing, it is the worst for privacy and surveillance. So get yeah. that off your kids' phones immediately. Not yeah, not to crowd Lucas out here, but literally owned by the Chinese government. Right. And if we find out within a couple of decades that the Chinese government was sending transgenderism content through it to American teenagers to disrupt our society, I would not be surprised in the least. It could just be generally satanic. But if they wanted to destroy our society by messaging, because we know with the Uyghur Muslims that they have been broadcasting transgender positive messages into their communities, particularly aimed at males. Hey, you know, become a woman. Uh, that That is a tactic the Chinese government uses. If they're doing that through TikTok, I won't be the least bit surprised. Yeah. Yep. Well, uh, you were talking about the, the, especially in the Bible Belt, and I, I grew up in London, Kentucky. That's where I graduated high school. So I remember, like, yeah, church on every corner. And in the 2000s, there was still like you didn't. We didn't really recognize that there was evil. That there could be evil right around the corner. We lived in a Christian nation. Everybody I knew went to church, and we were supposed to just love everybody. That I, I, I people are critiquing more nowadays the sort of winsome gospel, this approach to spreading Christianity by trying to be as palatable as possible and avoid the hard discussions about sin and whatever. And I think um, a lot of Christian parents have made the mistake of, well, you know, we go to Wednesday, we go to Wednesday night, they have, we go to a church that has a youth pastor or I send my kids to a Christian school. So I don't have to disciple my own kids. Absolutely. And um, like, so like my, you know, with my kids, we're going through shorter catechism. Let's and, go. That's awesome. Yeah, it's it's, uh, it's crazy how 
just the last hundred years, we, we, there's a treasure trove of stuff that we have that we just never, like, I didn't, I didn't grow up this way. And now I, I can't imagine not trying to disciple my kids and talking about how the gospel affects my life. But we, we sort of this McChurch that really, I think, and, and maybe, maybe it was present before the 2000s. I just, as a child of the 2000s, I just saw that emerging where you had, youth the here's where the cool youth pastor is and you go and you go and hang out and you know hey everybody loves jesus right like we're all cool and it was led up to where we we sort we have that mentality where we check in we make sure our kids go to where they're supposed to go and they'll you know they'll that's their responsibility now they'll you know and i'm sure as a pastor you uh, you have people that are relying solely on you at, to disciple their kids and it's like that's no that's that's not you know yeah well there's that whole whole sense of like uh jeff was saying is like allowing something to flow in unfiltered into your kid's brain you know like it's you can't compete with that you can't compete like you can be the coolest parent in the world you're not going to compete with the coolness of people on TikTok. the coolness yeah. of t- like there, there's a to get back to our theme, a magical aspect to that, an enchantment to that, that is something you can't overcome. You know, um, there's this great um, line. It's from uh, C.S. Lewis's Paralandra. Jeff, yeah, I'm sure you remember this. Uh, Lucas, I, I, I know, no, you read that game. But, but um, if you remember in the, in the um, Paralandra, he's, he's fighting, there's this, kind of recreating the the uh, Adam and Eve story Eve's being tempted by this demon in the form of a human named Winston is it Winston yeah uh, so Winston 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 yeah and and he Weston that's right yeah Weston and Weston is like tempting her telling her why she should you know kind of go for all the things that people in today's world go for and um for a long time Ransom who's the main character is trying to like convince her not to listen to him. But at some point in time, Ransom says, this can't go on. I'm going to have to physically fight him. I'm going to have yes. to like stop him from talking physically because all my arguments aren't working. And I feel like a lot of parents are still at the stage where there's like, oh, I'm just going to send my kid to church and like teach them these things. And like, but at some point in time, you have to say, you know what? I need to physically stop this phone from tempting my children because this phone is to get back to our theme, demonically influencing my children. Yeah. Lewis, you don't know, like I've got goosebumps on my arms hearing you recount that story. That's probably my favorite. And I think maybe the most important insight, you know, I've talked about that hideous strength, uh, that there's a demon running the, the progressive organization, but that, that ransom has to beat the devil to death. Yep. Is maybe one of the most important, insights Lewis gives us because we are not merely spiritual beings. We're not brains on sticks. We're not simply dominated by our ideas. We all like to think that about ourselves. Like I, I teach rhetoric and one of the, the insights that the rhetoric textbook gives us is we like to think we're all driven by the best insights and the best data, but that's not it. We're incarnate beings. We, we want to love things and our loves guide our intellect. And at some point a being like us, who is both spiritual and physical has to bring physical resources to bear on spiritual challenges. And so it is right and good for an incarnated human uh, 
to beat the devil to death as the creature he was made to be. And so I'm not I'm not calling for violence in that direct sense, because where could you do it anyway? You know, if the devil stood in my front yard and was telling me what he was going to do to my children, I would go try to engage him physically. But my kids interact physically with devices. They interact physically with Disney content. They interact physically with their peers. And so that's where the battle has to be fought. If we want to give them, you know, the Lord does what the Lord does. But if we want to give them uh, as best we can be responsible for an opportunity to hear the gospel profitably, that's the kind of stuff we're looking at doing. So to, if it, uh, however much details you feel comfortable sharing, but like, do you have you had experiences with your congregation or somebody who is overly relying on you as the the spiritual leader to disciple their children? Like, like uh, that that has to be a hard conversation to be like, hey, you know, you need to, as the parent, kind of step in here and, and do something because of the spiritual crisis your child is in. Well, I'm, I may sound pretty radical on this front, so. Um... I'll give as quick an answer to this as I can. My background was student ministry. I grew up and and praise God for a great youth ministry that I was in. And I heard the gospel there, was converted there. I'm thankful for all of that. Started doing that after I, you know, since the call to ministry in the church confirmed it. And I ended up just feeling like I was running up against a wall for the exact reasons you're talking about. That like you're dropping me, you're dropping your kid off to me for a couple hours a week and expecting me to overturn all this programming that they're having pumped into them. And like, what's going on here? And so when I became a pastor a while back, um, I eventually realized, I say I realized, this is a deep conviction. Not every good Christian is going to share it with me. But I realized I was sort of, uh, I was trying to make something work that was designed to fail. And so I looked at Scripture who has authority to spiritually profit a child and in what ways, according to scripture, it's the parents and it's the church. And so what I tried to, what we eventually did as a church is that um, we pushed back onto the parents and said, if you want to be a participant in their church, you, you're going to bring your children to church. We want to do that. We want to work with you. We want to equip you, but we're not going to be the professionals that you, um, drop your kids off to who are supposed to fix all this. So we moved to what's called a family integrated model. We don't have student ministry. We do certain age specific discipleship, uh, you know, events like apologetics and things like that. Uh, sexuality. Those are things we're talking to, to students about that that's relevant to their moment. But the, you know, the whole thing is go talk to your parents, go talk to your dad. Right. Um, you know, a kid comes and talks to me and says, Hey, I'm addicted to porn. Well, immediately dad's getting involved because you don't need an accountability partner who's 17 and is struggling in the same way that you are. You need a dad who can take away your stuff. Right. Mm, And so we over, you know, a decade or more, I've, I've done a complete 180. And so like, I can legitimately say now we're a small church and, and I've got more to say about that on the tech front too. We're a small church. We're, We're not, you know, we're not a mega church. Not everybody wants to sign up for this. But I can legitimately say in my life, I'm surrounded by committed parents who have a similar understanding of what it takes to faithfully raise a child as best as you can. And I don't have a lot of that anymore. I have people coming and saying, hey, you're a few years down the road as a parent. What are some things you've done? What has not worked? But praise Jesus, most of the people around me are catechizing 
they've got their kids in some kind of Christian educational environment. They're serious about technology and what role it gets to play in their home. It took a long time to get there. And again, there's, we're small, but I wouldn't trade it for Andy Stanley's church, not in a million years. That's awesome. Praise God. I, I have a really good friend who's um, Southern car carrying Southern Baptist pastor too. And yeah. he got cut his teeth in youth ministry and felt very similarly like, yeah, you, you, you get a couple hours, then they have the rest of the world battling for their soul. You are, you, you're, you're designed to fail. If someone was trying to set up a game where you are supposed to fail like that, that's, that's what you would set it up as here's, here's a couple hours, try and, and get God to do something and then I, let the rest of the world barrage them. The I think there was a there was a Babylon Bee headline that was almost exactly this, where it was oh, yeah. like, pa- parents are shocked that the one hour a day their kids spend in youth group <laughs> doesn't overpower the eight hours a day that they spend in yeah. apps or whatever. Yeah, so. But, uh, well, uh, I know we're, we're coming up uh, on oh. an hour and 15 minutes here, so um, I don't know uh, how much time you have. Jeff, I know I've got we we've all got uh, stuff we got to rock and roll on here. But uh, Lucas, I, I don't know you have any other thoughts here. Or you want to well, uh, start wrapping things up? Uh, Jeff, did you have something else you want to add? I was just going to say, if anybody's listening to this and they feel overwhelmed, um, I, I know we're largely talking about technology, but that, there is a term in the Bible called the padea of God, and there's no good English translation for padea. It means a comprehensive spiritual environment. And when the Bible tells us to raise our children in the fear and admonition of the Lord, it's telling us to raise them in the padea of God, which means everything has to be oriented towards Christ and his glory. And the thing I would say to someone who, if you're hearing this as a parent, you're like, gosh, that sounds overwhelming. I get it, man. But I want to encourage you that all education is discipleship. The Bible doesn't talk about educational systems. It talks about discipleship. And so the government school is discipling your children. Um, You know, you're you're discipling your children. You're whatever um, church you're in is discipling your children. Disney clearly wants to disciple your children. Google wants to disciple your children. TikTok wants to disciple your children. So knowing the Bible says that a student becomes like his teacher, which teachers get to disciple your kids? Mm. And I do talk to parents who are exhausted and they say, man, it's it's brutal to kind of re-engineer my family because we're, you know, we're Disney Plus and we're smartphones and I don't want my kid to be the weirdo. And so to that end. I would encourage you to pick what kind of weirdo you want your kid to be. He's going to be a weirdo in some way. He's going to be weird in that he thinks he can lop off his testicles and become a woman. He's going to be weird in that he thinks that society needs to be deconstructed. So order can rise from chaos. Shiva. Or he's going to to be weird because he never had an Instagram account. So who's discipling your kid and how do you want them to be weird? And just start biting the elephant little by little. I'd start with smartphones. I'd start limiting and weaning them off. And then I'd start looking at what kind of media programming is coming in and and stay with it because eventually other families and the Lord's providence will come around you and say, these are profitable changes you're making. We want to join with you. And that's when it starts being less exhausting. When you have some people with you who your kids can hang out with and you're not the only weirdo in the, the, you know, circle. Yeah. Yeah. And I I think the big to kind of, 
close with our theme. That's awesome advice, Jeff. And I, I feel like the big behind all of that is our theme, right? This, this technology, there is a spiritual element to it, right? The people that design this stuff have a spiritual element to it. The people pushing this stuff have a spiritual element to it. And it's not what you want, right? This isn't just atheistic stuff. This is bad theistic stuff. This is bad yep. spirits, bad uh, practices, weird stuff um, associated with a lot of this. A lot of the internet was developed at CERN that we just talked about all the weird satanic stuff going on there. Like it's, this is not spiritually neutral is being pumped into your kids' lives and your life. I mean, like you and I, and we're all on technology right now. Like we all have to be aware of this and like how we deal with it. One of the things like to not to extend things too much, but Jeff, you and I talked about drugs and, um, and the spiritual element of psychedelics. Um, and by the way, by my book, uh, Return yeah, of the Dragon by Lewis Unger, check it out. Um, but the, the interesting thing is that the amount of psychedelics that were used in the development of tech is unquestionable that they, they talk about how this was like brought into Silicon Valley before they had models. Cause they didn't have the computers yet. They used psychedelics to imagine the, um, a lot of the technology that they had to develop, they would take psychedelics so they could imagine the geometry that they needed to have in the technology itself, um, which is, is mind blowing. Right. But if you think about that, so think about if psychedelics brings you into the presence of um, not good entities, right. Demons or whatever. And those entities helped build that technology. You say, well, you know, like if, if you saw, let's say immigrants from North Korea were here and they immediately go out and they start building, you know, they, they, they go out to a hardware store and they all buy shovels. Like everybody has a <laughs> shovel and you say, well, is a shovel bad? No, not necessarily. But why are they, buy why'd they buy the shovels? Like, what are they doing with the shovels? And in the same way, like this technology was all developed with weird spiritual stuff, weird psychedelic stuff, weird, like there's this weird demonic aspect right at the core of it. Why are the demons pushing tech right and now we can kind of see it like back when it was just like computing numbers for corporations or whatever it didn't seem like a, a scary thing but now it's like being pumped into your house and and i think we all need to realize that the foundation was corrupt to a lot of that and that's what that c.s lewis quote was is there's this corruptness to to the to the foundation well and this is something that you know i know we, we can't stand here all day but one of the things i was hoping that you know you guys maybe are looking at it's not just the foundation but the ongoing expression and build out right so um i, I don't have my notes on this i think you can find this in james Poulos. um if not his book human forever you can find it in the stuff he's written uh, i think for claremont but there are three of these quantum mechanic uh computers one's owned by google one's owned by microsoft and one is owned by like the navy or the air force so these are top shelf bleeding edge quantum mechanic computing and the people who are operating them say things like we're not entirely sure why this works we just throw this into the machine and what gets spit out is useful so they're using this technology and that you know if you're reading like uh, quantum theory and some of that, that's way beyond me but these people use the language of other dimensions and so they'll talk about throwing this into this other dimension an answer gets spit 
spit out that works. And there's this quote, I think, from the guy who installed um, the Microsoft computer. He says, standing beside it feels like standing to an altar to an ancient pagan god. Wow. And you're like, yeah, dude, it does, because you are, <laughs> right? Um, and so it's, you know, we see the innocuous side of this. We see computer-generated Buzz Lightyear. These people are increasingly able to depend on technology they do not understand that appears to have direct correspondence to ancient pagan magic, and it's going to flow through Buzz Lightyear into your household if you're not careful. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right, I know we're we're trying to uh, wrap up here. I want it's listening to this conversation about how technology has become so pervasive, how the people controlling it are have seem to have evil intentions. It's easy to be given to despair like oh my gosh like this is it's going to get really really bad it may be it may but i what i like i always like going back to psalm chapter two and i'm just going to quickly that's great why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the lord and against the anointed saying let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us the the bible talks about the powers that be conspiring so, you know, you can be a conspiracy theorist and a Christian. Um, right after that, he who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. It goes on and on. I love that God is sovereign. God is in control. God laughs at the people who are trying to use. God is not concerned about CERN, about Google about any of these things. Yeah. Amen, brother. I'm thankful for that note. I I think of what we're talking about here in the project that I'm trying to advocate for as something like what Jesus did in the Olivet Discord. When he tells discourse, when he tells them, when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, get out of the city. Christ is in control. He's won already. This is the outworking of that. Like you said, it could be it could be bleak for us. It could be bleak for my kids and grandkids. But Christ is going to win. Uh, and it, of course, he could come back and it not be bleak for them um, if they're trusting in him. But Christ is going to win. What we're trying to do is say, let's use the resources of Christ's sovereignty to say, when you see these dangerous circumstances developing, get out of that city. And, you know, when he um, when he gave that warning, it wasn't too much longer after that, that Rome showed up, surrounded Jerusalem. And we have historical records that a tremendous number of Christians survived the siege of Rome. They weren't subject to the cannibalism and stuff that went on there because they remembered Jesus's words and they got out when they saw uh, the fulfillment come. And so that's what I'm trying to do here, too, is say, look, the, the Bible addresses this. It gives us the tools we need when you when the army shows up, make the wise decision and mitigate the risk that's coming to you and people you love. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Um, hey, Lucas, uh, do you want to see if anybody on the line wants to ask any questions? I, uh, we got a few people on the line. Sure. I don't know if uh, be give oh, everybody here, a second. Uh, Jeff, if you have a minute. and Yeah, uh, yeah I do. Let me also, so people who are, I'll send some invites to speak. If you feel like uh, unmuting yourself and um, asking questions for us, for Jeff. Yeah. Um, so while we're waiting, if, if anybody's interested and you want to join, uh, speak up. Um, but while we're waiting, um, 
one thing I didn't note that's very interesting as I've been I've been kind of researching this. I'm very much in the early stages of my research. Um, my thought is to write on the subject, although I'm realizing it's so much bigger than I thought originally, which is good and bad. Um, but in the Greek New Testament, so the New Testament was written in Koine Greek, which is an ancient form of Greek. Um, the word for fortune telling and divination um, is puthan, uh, which is uh, serpent, basically python, serpent. Um, and... Um, in like in Acts chapter sixteen verse sixteen, it talks about the demon possessed girl that's harassing Paul. Um, she's said to have she's said to have the spirit of divination in the English translation, but the Greek is she has the spirit of the serpent, right? Yep. The spirit of the python. Um, yep. Well, Google and YouTube were originally built with the programming language Python, yep. and you know, like that. That's real. Yeah, which is crazy, <laughs> right? And then think about so the biggest tech companies you've got Google, you've got Apple. So you've got the Python. Google is built on the Python and the Apple, right? The logo of the Apple. So like they didn't I'm sure they didn't plan that out, but it's it that someone planned that out, right? Like that, that, exactly. that, there's there's a, a truth behind it. Yeah, hey, to connect uh, to your previous book, which I hope anyone who's listening, uh, if they hadn't got it, they they go ahead and do so. Um, are you familiar with the Kundalini spirit that is part of Hindu culture and is increasingly part of American culture through New Age? Um, yes. And the the you know it the Kundalini people subconsciously think that spirit accesses the uh, I never can say this right the pineal gland, and that that's how it begins to take control of people and whatnot. And so it's a, it's a serpent spirit and it's interfacing with the pineal gland. That's that's very interesting. So, all right, we got some people who have uh, accepted the invitation to speak. The floor is open to you guys. Got William and Joshua on here. Hey y'all. Can you hear me? Yes. Hey, well, thank you for uh, inviting me. On, uh, yeah, just a, I guess, uh, just a quick uh, observation, and I think uh, it must be William or American Firebeard uh, who had posted it uh, in in the chat. But he was just saying how God has a plan for technology and just how it 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 coincides with His uh, methodology of redeeming and reforming uh, what we ruin as a part of His creation. So I just thought that was, and, I, and you guys have. Uh, alluded to that throughout this conversation, but I thought that was a a good note to say. But what do you guys have, I guess, for a question for you all? Uh, how do you think God is able to redeem uh, this kind of technology that does have, as you guys have pointed out, um, almost, yeah, this, this evil demonic uh, foundation to it? Is it something where, um, depending on your eschatology, um, where uh, Christ wins uh, already or in the end uh, right now, um, that you know, if, if we were to make um, a parallel uh, economy and, and par- parallel networks uh, like technology that doesn't have this demonic foundation, but has a, you know, Christ glorifying, you know, do we have to remake the microchip, even though it has, um, I think, as it was alluded to earlier, uh, like demonic uh, symbology or uh, insignias, uh, a part of it? Right. right. So, um, yeah. That's kind of what I was 
uh, thinking it was a good question too. And, and I might add to uh, that question a little bit is that, um, I, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't think we can, uh, I think Lewis mentioned earlier, I don't think we can uh, fight the, the demonic influences um, by ourselves. I mean, we obviously need the Lord's strength and we need other people to do that. But I think in, in order to, um, to redeem and to reform uh, the technology, um, I think it's going to, it's going to take a lot of work, but it, I think we do have to kind of have that long-term uh, eschatology, if you will, that, that uh, Christ is going to redeem our culture and redeem um, every aspect of culture and, yeah. and technology is part of God's creation, even though it's kind of been hijacked by uh, demons. Um, and yeah, Jeff, do you, do you want to speak at all to, do you think that this tech we're using is redeemable? Yeah. Y'all may need to cut me off on this because I've, I've really been thinking about this for about four years and trying to get my head around some of this. Um, so I, to the eschatology question, which Lucas has earlier, I'm an optimistic omnil. And so I, I hold it with an open hand. I don't think it's a matter of orthodoxy. But with omnil guys, we have it pretty easy in that Christ could come back in the next hour, like the dispensationalists think, or it could be in 20,000 years. And so what I'm trying to do is think. Oh, sorry, Jeff, you're you just cut out. Um, you just let me invite you to speak again. Let me see what happened here. All right, I just resent you the invitation to speak. I just, Jay Jeff, I just sent, resent you the invitation to speak. I, it cut you off for some reason. See, demons in the tech. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Truth. Yeah, here we go. Here. Yeah. Um. <laughs> so. To pick back up, I'm trying to think about how to set my kids, my great, great grandkids up. Right. That's what I want to do. I want to build long term and hope Christ shows up. Um, now, that being said, I think we ought to have categories of technology as we think about that project. We should be thinking of technology that is healthy and technology that's unhealthy. And I don't mean to be vulgar, but you can think about the difference between uh, a lathe and a dildo. Um, one technology is inherently healthy. One is inherently unhealthy. In God's providence, most tools are healthy if used in healthy fashion, right? Like there's there's a few that are inherently wicked, but there are very few of those. We need to think about using technology that is healthy in a healthy way. And so um, good. You know, when you said that, Jeff, I, I immediately thought of we're, we're going to take weapons of war and beat them into plowshares. Yep. Like there's, they do, the Bible does talk about there are certain technologies that will not be in existence in the kingdom to come. Absolutely, but I also think it says that technology will be in the kingdom, and so my eschatology says we'll be building and making stuff again. I think Lewis says it right in Paralandra. When the Martian fall does not happen, the king says someday my um, my descendants will take to the stars, and I think it's entirely possible that we will be making Mars a garden. Uh, in the eschatological state. I think that that will be how we bring glory to Christ. So technology is not inherently 
uh, wicked. Although if you read Genesis and uh, if you think the book of Enoch is credible, some technology was given for nefarious ends. Yeah. And, and I think the other thing, Jeff, is like this recognition that a lot of this tech has been developed by demons, sure. <laughs> like, like has been. Yep. So whether it's, it, I mean, obviously, a, you, you know, you can use things developed by bad people for good. Yep. Right. But that you, I think we all need to be have our guard up that the demons have developed a lot of this stuff and we should be asking, why did they develop sure. it? What are they doing with it? You know, we should have that suspicion. Just like I was saying, if the North Koreans came here and they all bought shovels, we'd be like, what the hell are they going to do with the shovels? Right. right. Like we would be very concerned and it's not that the shovel's bad, but there is something they're doing with it. And we need to be aware of that. And I feel like that's the case with these entities They've inspired and worked and developed this stuff. What are they doing with it? Because, and we can, like I said, we can see some of it, but it's, it, even though the tech itself may in some sense be neutral, we need to be very aware of what they're doing with it. For so, sure. Um, For sure. If- hey, 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 not to rush things, but I do have to get going pretty soon. Do we have, is, did you say Joshua wanted to ask a question, Lucas? Oh, he had started that question. Um, okay. And- Josh, if you have a follow-up, you're welcome to uh, – I'll open this up some more if other people want to speak quickly. No, I, I really appreciate y'all's answers to that. Uh, I do think there's – I think that's uh, an intelligent answer that we can redeem some, but to know uh, the foundation, to know the origins of other um, technologies or mediums um, for for a, a key term. When you guys were talking about that earlier, I had thought of like a Ouija board. There's no redeemable yep. quality to using yep. that. Uh, but for AI, you know, it's like, is there something that we can do with it? You know, it, it is being in the engineering world, you know, coding things or decoding things. There's sometimes where you don't know why a code works, but it works and no one can describe why it happens. That's, that's a little weird. Um, but also yeah, I like to hear more about that. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of I know, I've heard, but I don't know, you know, well, yeah. just real quickly. So healthy technology used healthy ways extends human capacity, right? So my car lets me carry more weight faster. That's a human capacity that it amplifies. So I think that's how you start thinking through technology. Is this uh, extending human capacity in a healthy fashion? The other thing is that we can redeem a whole bunch of bad stuff. Uh, Augustine has this analogy drawn from the Israelites leaving Egypt with the gold. They threw their gold to Israel. Um, he calls it plundering the Egyptians. And that became the national treasury of Israel. Now, that was God using pagans to enrich his people. We also know that they later took those resources and turned them into golden calves. And so we have warrant to make use of pagan resources. Those things will come into the kingdom. But we also have to be, as Lewis has said, pretty sophisticated and careful in our thinking through of what is an appropriate use of these resources God has blessed us with through pagan hands. Yeah, definitely. All right. Doesn't look like we have anybody, any other speakers here, so we can probably wrap up. Thanks so much, Jeff, for giving us some of your Saturday morning. I really, really, really enjoyed this conversation. Thank you. Hey, same. And thank you for putting me in contact with Lewis on Twitter, man. That's one of the good things that technology brought there. And I appreciate what you guys are doing. Stay after it. Yeah, like, likewise. Yeah, thanks a lot, Jeff. Really appreciate this. It was a fun, great conversation. I don't know about fun, but it was a good conversation. I, I, I enjoy talking <laughs> yeah, to you. Yeah, yeah. um, it's always terrifying for me is 
like I said at the beginning of the conversation, like as someone that on in theory believed in demons and and hostile entities before, but like now is actually realizing they're there. It these kind of conversations are always slightly frightening for me and and just in the realization that all this stuff is real but it is enjoyable and it was great talking to you and uh, great insights on a lot of the stuff so thank thank you uh for for joining us do you have a website or anything you uh want to uh plug real quick oh that's kind of you uh, thanks for having me on I've, I've really enjoyed it um i do most of everything i do through connection uh, through a connection with servants and heralds.com um, my podcast is part of their network. I write there. So servantsandheralds.com will keep you up with basically anything I'm doing. Nice, nice. By the way, his podcast is excellent. I listened, I hadn't heard it before I went on it, which I'm sorry for that. But I listened to some other episodes. It's very, very good. So th- thanks for that. Oh, Jeff. well, that's kind of uh, I appreciate that. Yeah. Speaking of, uh, Jeff just hosted Lewis recently to talk about Lewis's book, Return of the Dragon, talking about the connection between drug culture and everything else that Christian Berg- such as abortion, really, you should really check that out if you haven't. Absolutely, we're here every. Lewis and I are here every Saturday morning. Now we were we used to do this as just a regular podcast. Now we're trying to do this Twitter Spaces. So we're here every Saturday morning, live recording it. If you uh, aren't able to ch- uh, do it live with us, we post get the podcast posted YouTube everywhere else where you get podcasts so feel free to check us out the, the, fir- the first five minutes of every podcast is us figuring out twitter spaces so, so, <laughs> <laughs> so if you want yeah. fast forward the first five minutes <laughs> but, uh, yeah all right we'll see you guys later Bye, all everybody. right thanks everybody all right, have a good weekend guys